1 Corinthians chapter 15, let's stand together as we read the first eight verses. And now I, this is the Apostle Paul, would remind you, the church at Corinth, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, and then to the Twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, that's the brother of Jesus, Then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. You may be seated and take a moment to reflect together on God's word. If you've been here for this series, you know we're out of order because we've just finished uh, chapter 3 and supposed to be going into chapter 4. But I had several reasons for wanting to to talk about these eight verses and specifically to to have us all focus in on just this narrow light of the gospel. One of those reasons is that the Apostle Paul has been confronting divisions in the church. And from chapter 5 on, he's just going to get one more problem after another that's happening in the church of Corinth. And every single time, he's going to try to put that problem in the light or in the context of the gospel. So that's why we have the lens of the gospel. In other words, he's trying to say, okay, you see this problem that you're having, divisions, or you're seeing this problem you're having with each other, or whatever that is, he's trying to help us say, the way you get through that is to first understand the gospel, to first focus on the gospel, and let that be the power or the thrust or the light that you need to move through that problem. And so for the Apostle Paul, the gospel is like gravity, It affects every part of your life. There's no part of your life the gospel doesn't weigh in on, so to speak. And so I thought today, after we spent several weeks talking about divisions, that we would just be reminded of the gospel. Paul here himself is saying, I'm reminding you of the gospel, verse 1 in chapter 15. The second reason I thought it would be helpful to think about the gospel is because This Tuesday, October 31st, 2017, is the 500th anniversary of the date for what we start at, we think of as the Protestant Reformation. When Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the Wittenberg door at a church in Germany, and really these these theses were just statements that he wanted to have a dialogue with the Catholic Church. These are questions he had. These were problems he had. These are things that he was encountering. And he wanted to start a, he didn't want to start a, a revolution. He wanted to start a discussion that got people back to the gospel. So the Protestant Reformation was about the gospel. What was at stake for Luther wasn't just some sort of fine points of church history or something. What was at stake for Luther was the gospel. And we are grateful for him today. 
And so I thought today would be a good day to be reminded of the gospel. A third reason is Holt and Donna Evans, members here at Christ Community, just returned from a medical mission to India. And they went through an organization that we're supportive of, Alpha. And Alpha is primarily a church planting ministry where they take a person who's been trained in the gospel and they go into unreached villages mostly and they reach out to them first. They supply things to them. They send a medical team. They try to care for their physical needs. And then they begin to build a bridge of relationships so that they can begin to share the gospel. And while they were over there, one night after midnight, the leader, Benny, was awakened by the special police about his activity and the group that he was hosting. And what has happened over the last few years is an increased hostility towards anybody that's not Hindu in India. A neighboring country, Nepal, has a lot in common with India just outlawed conversion to Christianity. And so here, these, these people, these men, these women, these families that we support, these church pastors and families, they, they're facing a growing hostility to the gospel. And as people in these villages that we support come to Christ and they get baptized, here are the two questions they're asked prior to the baptism. Are you willing to die for your faith? Are you willing for your family to be killed for your faith? And if you can't answer yes to both of those questions, they won't baptize you. So now we can be thankful we don't live in India, but what I want us to hear is what's at stake. What, 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 what these people are pledging themselves to, the same thing I'm pledging myself to, is I'm all in for Jesus. And yes, I may just say I'm going to follow or whatever, but, but what we're saying is there might be a growing hostility here in this country at some point. And you have to be able to say, I'm, I've got both feet in, I'm all in for Jesus, no matter what the risk may be to me or to my family. So today as we baptize Britton and Taylor and Noelia and Dorina and Jeremiah, we, we need to be reminded every believer here for what's at stake if you commit your life to Christ. We're not joining a club, and this is sort of the initiation right to it. No, we're, we're, we're risking our lives, we're staking our lives on the gospel. And people are doing that around the world every day, and so today is a good day to be reminded of the gospel. Notice 1 Corinthians 15.1, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. Paul never gets tired of reminding the believers of the gospel because, again, it's the gravity for Paul. Everything is affected about your life, about the gospel. And, and the first thing I want you to notice here is the best way I can describe it, the length of the gospel. Verses 1 and 2, notice he says, it's something you received so that's a past tense. I, I came to Corinth, brothers. I preached the gospel to you. You heard it and you received it. You remember that? That was several years ago now from Paul's writing. So it's something that ha- the gospel was something that happened in the past. And then notice the next phrase. It's something in which you stand. So the gospel was something that happened that you learned 
and you received and you were changed, you were transformed. But now in the present tense, you're also standing on the gospel. It's, it's the ground of your existence. And then finally, by which you are being saved. So this is called a, a present future tense. So, so what's happening is you're in a process of being saved and you are going to be saved. So I want you to see the length of the gospel here. That Paul's trying to say, the gospel is everything. You, you heard it and you received it. You stand on the gospel. It's the gravity that now affects your whole life. And you're being saved by the gospel both right now and into the future. How you get saved is by the gospel. So that's the critical point. So just to be clear, uh, for especially for Britain, Taylor, Noelia, Darina, and Jeremiah, the gospel isn't something you hear, you receive, and then as you grow, you move on. The gospel is something you hear, you receive, and in order to grow, you know more about the gospel. It's like a tree. In order for it to grow, the roots have to keep going down further and further. And so Paul's trying to say to us, you've got to have that taproot keep going down into the gospel if you hope to stay standing. And so he's trying to help us understand this length. And notice he says, I love how Paul puts the priority, verse 3. I'm, I delivered, he's reminding them when he came, these things that are of first importance. First importance. I know I've told you this before. You may have seen it in some sort of time management illustration. The, the lecturer comes to the time management group, and he's trying to help them understand time, the value of time. And so he pulls out this big glass jar with a big wide mouth on it, and then he takes these big rocks and he puts it in the glass jar. And then he asks the people who have paid for this seminar... This very probing question, can I get any more rocks in the jar? And, of course, they say, no, we can't, you can't get any more of those rocks in the jar. So then he pulls out a bag of gravel. And he starts pouring the gravel in. And he says, now, can I get any more rocks in the jar? And they say, well, I don't, I don't think so. Then he pulls out a bag of sand he sifts that down in. Hey, can I get any more in the jar? They're like, I don't know now. <laughs> and then he pours out a pitcher of water until it's all the way full. And so he says, so what's, what's this illustration mean for us here in this time management seminar? And one eager student raises their hand and says... You can always get a lot more in your schedule than you think. And he says, no. Survey says no. The point is, you got to get the big rocks in first. You got to get the big things in first because if you fill up your life with sand and water and gravel, the things that are most important don't fit in your life anymore. And you've got to get those things in your life. There are some things that are of critical importance. And we have to have those at the center 
So every other little thing that may be important but not as important as the gospel, it gets its gravitational effect from the gospel. And so Paul is standing here in the first century, and he's got his glass jar, and he's saying, here are the things of first importance. Here are the biggest rocks of Christianity, and I need you to know these things. These are things that are of first importance. And I want to look at these in three ways, these Big rocks, the gospel. That first of all, I just want us, want us to remember that it's news. The gospel means what? Good news. Good news. So it's news. Second, it is finished. And third, this encouragement he has for us in verse 2 to hold fast. It's news. It's finished. And hold fast. First, it's news. Paul uses the word gospel over 60 times in his letters. In the Greek, it's euangelion, which is where we get the word evangelist or somebody who preaches or teaches or tells the good news. And notice it's news. It's not advice. It's not Paul's come to say, I've given, I'm here and I'm, I'm here to try to give you advice. Advice is counsel. You receive in order to help you do something. I see that you're having problems, Paul. Here's some advice. And if you do these things, then it might turn out better for you. News is a report of something that has happened. Advice is just something you can take and try to appropriate for yourself. News is an announcement that something has actually taken place. Something's been accomplished. And this is what separates Christianity from religion. Religion is advice on how to find God. Let me give you the eight steps that you're supposed to take. Let me tell you the pilgrimages you're supposed to go on. Let me tell you the things that you're supposed to repeat. And if you do these things and you're doing them the right way, then you might find God. Christianity is the news that God has come to find you. That's a huge difference between religion and Christianity. Religion is how can I have a pilgrimage that ends or terminates with God. And Christianity is God's come to save us. He has come. Now, I know it's hard to believe. But in eight weeks from today, it's going to be Christmas Eve. Can you imagine that? Some of you are like, man, I'm not ready. It's not like Christmas is different every year, right? Oh, it's on the 25th. Oh, surprise. No, I mean, it's every year, but every time you just say, I'm not ready. It says something about us, I think. But when the angels came, the famous Luke chapter 2 passage, they say to the shepherds, do not be afraid. I bring to you what? Good news. Not, I bring to you advice. I were you shepherds, check out what's happening in Bethlehem. I mean, I, you should probably go over there. That's not what they're saying. Something has actually happened. Whether the shepherds do anything about it or not is another thing. The angels are just announcing God has come. God has come to find his people. And this is the good news that in the city of David, Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you, and he is Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. They're not, asked, they're not 
offering advice, maybe to think about this difference between Christianity and religion, because I think we have to have clarity on it, is it's religion puts chains on your soul. And Christianity takes chains off. Religion puts burdens on. Christianity lifts burdens off. This was really the, one of the core features of the Protestant Reformation. Here you have this young monk, Martin Luther, for 33 years. He's been a Christian. He actually becomes a monk, hoping that the things he does as a monk is going to earn him some favor with God. So he's terrified, as are most of the Christians in the 1500s, of something called purgatory. And this is a place that you have to go as a believer to pay for some of your sins. And if your sins are bad enough, you might have to go there for a very long time, like thousands of years. And so everyone is sort of uh, shuddering under this weight of their own conscious, consciousness, knowing I've sinned, I've done these things, and I've got to do some things on this earth to make sure I've got enough favor for God in heaven, or I have enough merit or good works. So they're afraid of purgatory. Again, it's not hell, but it is a place of fire that burns away all of your remaining sins. Now, does this sound like good news? No, this sounds terrifying. I mean, Paul, Jesus is big enough to get you to heaven. But after you've met him, if you keep on sinning, you're going to have to pay for that, buddy. Good news. Uh, no, that doesn't sound like good news to me. Because I still have sins that I'm fighting against and sometimes not winning. And well, how many are there and how bad are, are they and how long am I going to have to spend in this fire, this refining fire? And for 33 years, Luther received this message from the church that put chains on him and didn't take chains off. So just try to imagine Martin Luther, he's burdened. How does he get rid of this burden? He goes to confession. So you've probably seen the little confessional booth. You walk in, you sit down, and then there's a little door with a screen, and there's a priest on the other side, and he's going to pray for forgiveness and then give you some things you ought to do. Martin Luther would go into the confessional booth for six hours. He would walk out be terrified he hadn't remembered something, and walk back in. And his priest said, go do a real sin, Martin Luther. I'm tired of listening to you. But do you see what's happened with Martin Luther? He, he came into Christianity wanting to know Jesus, and he found out it's burdens on. It's chains on. It's not freedom. It's not chains off. He became a monk and actually became a scholar now he's a theology professor and a priest and it's chains on for martin luther and let me tell you what changed his life he started reading the bible in your first year of theology you read read the bible but for your next two years you didn't read the bible anymore they took the bible away and you read other things and when he when he finally got to this uh this seminary, so to speak, 
he got a Bible, he started reading the Bible, and what did he discover? <laughs> the gospel. He was like, it's been here the whole time. Why hasn't somebody told me about this? Why haven't I told somebody else about it? Here is, in, in his own words, when, when Luther read the gospel and realized that he stands before a holy God, not because of his works, but because of Christ's works. When he realized this, here's his testimony. When I discovered that, I was born again of the Holy Ghost. And the doors of paradise swung open and I walked right through. Here is a professor of theology who doesn't know the Bible. And when he discovers the gospel, chains come off. And he couldn't help but say to everybody, you've got to know this. And that started the Protestant Reformation, which eventually affected a couple of hundred years later a man named Charles Wesley. And he wrote this hymn that we're familiar with, And Can It Be? Listen to these lines. Long my imprisoned spirit lay. Some of you have felt this. You, you know how that feels. Fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye, God's eye, diffused or directed a quickening ray. The, the light came into this prison cell for Charles Wesley. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. And then what's the next phrase? My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Religion is burden on, chains on. Christ is freedom, chains off. So it's good news. Amen? The first thing the gospel is, is it's news. It's not advice. It sets souls free. Secondly, it is finished now, we just, we don't have time to talk about all of these, but you can just see the, the verbal markers in your text about the four things that Paul wants to notice, because it has the word that in front of each one of them. Here's the gospel. That, Christ died for sins. That, he was buried. Number three, that he was raised on the third day. Number four, that he appeared to Peter, the twelve, five hundred, James, and then finally, Paul. These are the big rocks of the gospel. And I just want to take a moment just to think of this first one. Christ died for our sins. Christ died. Christ isn't a name. It's a title. It means the anointed one, the Messiah. And this Christ, he came and he died. And Paul later in Colossians tries to describe who Christ is. And he says it this way. He is the visible image of. Of the invisible God. Christ is all the fullness of God. Dwells in Christ. So Jesus is God with skin on. He was perfect. And he died. And why did he die? He died for sins. He died for for our wanting to run our own lives. For wanting to satisfy our own souls. And not be satisfied with God. Jesus says it this way, I've come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a, what, ransom. 
I'm going to be the ransom. I'm going to be the payment. This person's in prison. They deserve the punishment they're getting. And Christ is going to come and say, I'm going to take that punishment. I'm going to be the ransom. In, the, in big theological words, it's called the substitutionary atonement. Somebody has to pay. Somebody has to atone. And we need a substitute or else we have to pay. I think I've said this before, but I was on a trip one time with a a Jewish person. And I said, so let's just say we both believe in the same God. Okay, okay. I think we both believe in the same God. I'm going to stand before this God and I have sin that I've done wrong. You probably do, Paul. I said, trust me, I do. And I'm going to, somehow it has to be atoned for. And they said, right. And I said, I'm going to have Jesus in front of me. What are you going to have? Well, I'm going to atone myself. And I thought, wow, just to hear someone say, I do believe I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to have to atone for my behavior myself. That's not good news. So Christ is, he's the substitute. He's the God with skin on. He has come to stand in our place to make atonement for our, our sin. And, and the, the incredible thing about this is when he dies on the cross, he says in one of his last statements, it is what? It's finished. I mean, when Martin Luther finally read that and realized the implications of that, Not like, well, God started something and Paul, you've got to finish it. That's not good news. The good news is that Christ started something and he's going to bring it to completion. It's it's going to get finished in him. He has paid everything. He walks through the fire so you and I don't have to. And his every good action, his every good thought, his every good deed gets transferred to me. This is what's so incredible. And all of my every bad thought, word, and deed gets transferred to him. So when I stand before God, it's as if I've got this perfect life to show. And it's really because of Jesus. That's good news. So for Britton and Taylor and Noelia and Darina and Jeremiah, it won't be long. It might be today that you're going to find yourself saying, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. And maybe you shouldn't have. But I want you to know it's finished. I want you to say it's finished. Not, not just my past sins, not my presence, just my present sins, but all of my sins have been paid for by Jesus. It's over. You don't have to pay. God did. Amen. That's good news. And let me close here with this last point. Hold fast. Verse 2. You see that? I'm reminding you, brothers, of the gospel. Then he says what these things are of first importance, verses 3 through 6. And then he says this. If you hold fast, you've got to hold fast to the word. Now, I want to be clear here. When Paul says hold fast, it doesn't mean you hold, you're holding fast determines your salvation got to get that clear you holding fast demonstrates your salvation Does that make sense 
Because if you leave thinking, okay, I hear it, and I've got to hold fast, and that determines whether I get in or not, then, then it's going to come back to you. That's not going to feel like good news. It's just going to demonstrate the fact that you are holding fast is going to demonstrate to the world that you really are both feet in. Both feet in for Christ. And Paul, of all people, he knows his congregation in Corinth, they're easily distracted. They've got these terrible rip currents in their culture that they can't seem to get out of. And we're going to cover all of them through this letter. And he's trying to say, hold fast, hold fast to the gospel. That's got to be the central focus. And, And when you can't hold fast to the gospel, then have someone hold fast to you who is holding fast to the gospel. That makes sense. There are going to be times in every believer's life that you say, for whatever reason, pain comes in your life. Your hunger for sin just seems to overwhelm you, and you let go. And you, you, you all, you desperately need a group of people who are going to hold fast for you when you can't hold fast for yourself. That's called the church. That's our charge for each other. And when Paul Phillips lets go, somebody's holding on to Paul Phillips who's got the strength to hold on to Paul Phillips. That would be a mighty strength. And hold on to God at the same time. Right? And then when Paul gets attached back, he's going to be holding on to other people who are trying to get go, go away. Now I want to close with this final picture that does a great job of just showing this holding fast. And give you a challenge before we do these baptisms. This past summer in Panama City, Florida, several people got caught in a rip current. And as they got caught in the rip current, there were, there were nine total people getting caught in this rip current that you'll see in just a moment. Two children, one elderly woman, and then six other people. They're way out there in the corner. And several people went in swimming, trying to rescue these people, and the rip current was too strong. They couldn't get them back out. So they were trying to get some sort of official or rescue squad person to try to help these people. Well, imagine the mom on the shore. She can't see the heads of her two children anymore. And she is in an all-out panic And all these people standing around on the shore, they're panicking, and no one seems to be able to get to the kids and actually rescue them back. And while they're waiting for somebody to come and help, a few people, you know what they did? They formed this human chain. And it turned out to be 80 people. Someone standing on the shore all the way out to the rip current. And they saved all nine people. By this human chain. Darina, Noelia, Taylor, Britton, and Jeremiah. You know they are going to face a mighty rip current from the culture. Do you not know that? And they are going to be tempted and may even let go. And they may get so far out that you say, I can't see them anymore. And my charge, my challenge, my plea to you as your pastor, 
would you form a human chain? See, you might, need, might, need, might not be the person who actually grabs hold of the arm. You might be the person who's on shore. And Kelly might be the person who's trying to rescue Dorena. But you're back here and you're promising to pray. You're promising to encourage the leader. You're promising to do all these other things so that when somebody's out next to the drowning person, they've got the strength to hold on to them because somebody in this human chain is holding on. And if you've been alive in Christ any length of time, you can already remember times you let go, can you not? And you were so thankful. That somebody didn't let go of you. That they kept coming after you. They kept telling you the gospel. And then eventually your, your hand grabbed hold of Christ. And what did you find out? Well, he was holding you the whole time. That's the gospel. It's, it's news. It's good, really good news. It's finished. But it's difficult. That's why Paul says you got to hold fast. And today, when we're out here in just a few minutes, my prayer is that you would just be praying for each one of them. Would you hold fast, hold fast, hold fast? And then if you don't, pray this for yourself, that I would be part of the chain that would go out and get them if they let go. Let's pray together. Lord, we are so thankful for the truth of the gospel. We're so grateful to see it here today in a very unique way, to celebrate, to remember how great the news is that it's really finished. And we're so grateful for this group. Look around. We've got a lot of people who are willing not to just stand around, but to form a chain and go after people. We pray for your hand to keep and hold Darina, to keep and hold Noelia, to keep and hold Britain, to keep and hold Taylor, to keep and hold Jeremiah. And that if any point they let go, just humanly speaking, you would use us to grab hold of them. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.